We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, Daniel, do you ever think we should explore the universe with all five senses? Hmm, well, I'm definitely a fan of looking out into space. Yeah, but we have other senses. Have you thought about what space smells like? Well, astronauts report that space smells a little bit like a barbecue. (laughs) Really? Does it taste like barbecue also? (laughs) I don't know, maybe frozen barbecue, I guess? Well, I hope it doesn't feel like barbecue. (laughs) Space is not that saucy, it turns out. Or sound like barbecue? That would just be the sound of aliens preparing their barbecue grills. Well, let's just hope we're not on the menu. (laughs) Talk about first contact. First course. (laughs) First course. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and I do love me a barbecue. So it really smells like barbecue in space? It does, actually. We had a listener question recently about what space smells like. Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of really interesting organic molecules out there in space that like cling to spacesuits and then release themselves when you come back inside. And they smell like sometimes like sulfur, sometimes like barbecue. What does that mean? Like the astronauts will go out into space Mm -hmm. on a spacewalk and then when Mm -hmm. they come in, they smell like barbecue? Yeah, exactly. When they open up their helmets again after they've come back in, the stuff that's stuck to their spacesuit now goes up their nostrils and it smells a little bit like barbecue. Mm. I guess technically barbecues are part of the universe. So (laughs) yeah, the universe does smell like barbecue as it does smell like other things. Our barbecued universe. Welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we use all sorts of absurd food analogies to explain to you what the universe is like. Is it goopy and saucy? Is it chewy and stringy? Can you bite right through it? But really, we want to make sure that you understand the nature of the universe, the things that scientists are thinking about, the things that we are mentally chewing on, and the things we have not yet been able to digest. That's right, because even analogies are part of the universe. (laughs) And so it's a broad topic that we are discussing here. 
Daniel and Jorge explain bad analogies with other <laughs> worse analogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like uh, we'd just be compounding the problem there. <laughs> but it is a pretty interesting universe out there and there's a lot going on. Like if you just sit there in space and you float, you can smell things, you can feel things, I'm sure, radiation hitting you and you can see definitely a lot out there in the universe. Absolutely. And we are continuing to invent new ways to interact with our universe. And basically every time we do, we find something shocking. We discover something else out there in the universe we didn't even know existed. Yeah, I mean, we're just sitting here in one corner of the Milky Way, which is sitting in one corner of the observable universe. And we're getting a lot of signals from everywhere. Basically, anything that gives us light, we get that light and we detect it with our telescopes and our antennas. Exactly. We are drowning in information from the universe, much of which we didn't even know existed until recently. For example, most of astronomy has been done using visible light, light that you can see with your eyes and even maybe enhance with telescopes. But there are really interesting signals in x-rays and on the other side of the spectrum down to radio waves. You can also look at all the particles that are washing over us, neutrinos and other crazy sources of information about what's going out there in the universe. And recently, we added gravitational waves to our toolkit for listening to the universe. And each of these tells us something different about the nature of the universe because different stuff out there emits in different ways. Some of it gives off light, some radio waves, some gravitational waves. Each one can tell us something different about what's out there in the universe. What sense would you use, Daniel, to describe detecting gravitational waves? <laughs> like what, what sense do you need to detect gravity? <laughs> do you feel it? Do we hear it? Do we see it? You would feel it technically because it's a space quake, right? It's like a shaking of space itself. Space contracts, it expands, it wiggles. So that's really what's happening. In a lot of science communication about gravitational waves, though, they talk about listening to the universe. They talk about like the chirp of black holes. I think that's a tiny bit confusing because we're not using our ears to hear these things. We're not getting sound waves from gravitational waves. What they've done is taken the frequency of those waves, transform them into sound waves, and then listen to them. Mm, we're feeling the gravitational waves. Yeah, I like thinking about gravitational waves as the shaking of space. Mm. All right, well, there are a lot of things out there giving of uh, light and signals and gravity. And for the most part, we sort of know where it's coming from or, or what's making these signals. But sometimes there are surprises. There are almost always surprises. And a lot of times these things are picked up by accident. Somebody develops a new kind of antenna or a new kind of telescope and looks out into the universe the first time, maybe looking for one thing and finding something totally different. And then puzzling over it and wondering like, huh, what's making all that light? or emitting all that radiation. And those are fascinating clues that tell us about something new out there in the universe or something we knew about that's doing something we didn't know about. Yeah, and there is one particular signal out there that is basically all around us. You can hear it in every direction, but we don't know what's making it. It's sort of this weird, unexplained phenomenon. Exactly. And it's also got a hilarious name to it. Oh, does it? In physics? How surprising. <laughs> I'm shocked. Hilarious and some ways misleading. <laughs> well, today on the podcast, we'll be tackling the question. What is the space roar? Now, Daniel, is it like a roar, like a lion's roar? <laughs> or is it more like a cat's you know, meow, like rare? Like is the universe catty or is it, you know... 
not had its morning coffee yet. What is the universe's attitude? Exactly. Does the universe need to go to therapy? Like, dude, chill out. Somebody give the universe some Valium. What's definitely cool and chill. We've, I think we've established that. And does it get kind of hot sometimes? Yeah, exactly. Roar is a pretty funny name. Really, I would have called this the space hiss. The space hiss. Hiss. Yeah, exactly. Like the space buzz. Maybe. Yeah, the space buzz. That would have been a great name for it. The space hum. <laughs> the space hum. That makes it sound like alien music, you know, like Gregorian alien chants. Mm, the space whistle while you work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think all of those would have been more accurate names than the space Rawr. <laughs> now, see, now you're calling it Rawr. I would spell that differently than R-O-A-R. Oh, yeah. That's more like the space meow. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, it is a thing, the space Roar. And it's kind of a big mystery in physics. And we were wondering how many people out there knew what it was or had heard of it or been, I don't know, the subject of its attitude. (laughs) So thanks to everybody who's willing to guess at the true nature of something poorly named by astronomers. If you are willing to participate for a future episode, please write to me to questions at danielandjorge.com. I like how you just totally threw astronomers (laughs) under the bus there. You could have said physicists. You definitely uh, specifically said astronomers there. Yeah, well, I feel like they are the target of your criticism more often than other kind of physics. (laughs) What? (laughs) Mr. Particle Man? Are you serious? Yeah, we got strange names. We got charming names. But, you know, astronomers, they're they're maybe, let's call them more creative with their names. Remember that whole episode about space centaurs? (laughs) Let's not hear me roar about this topic anymore. All right, let's not hiss about it. All right, well, as usual, Daniel went out there and asked people what they thought the space roar was. So think about it for a second. If someone asks you, what would you say? How would you answer? Here's what people had to say. Uh, Seeing as it's called a roar, I imagine it's got to do with sound waves, and I think they might come from all directions in space. The space roar sort of um, reminds me of a tiger or a lion, but... In our universe, I think that the space roar could be like an explosion. Maybe it could be compared to the Big Bang. And maybe this explosion was the beginning of something. I don't know if it could have been the beginning of a galaxy. The space roar, I'm fairly certain, is aliens. Probably it can only be radio waves. Since nobody can scream at us, we wouldn't hear it because in a void, the sound cannot travel. So the space road can be in radio. We always talk about light and energy being transmitted through space. But a lot of what happens in the universe also produces or could produce sound if there was something to to convey that sound. So is this some sort of accumulation of that? I have no idea. All right. I like this idea of a space tiger. Or a space lion. (laughs) Or an alien space tiger. Yeah, that was basically your answer. Yeah. And some people assume it has something to do with radio waves or at least some sort of waves that we're getting out there from the universe. Yeah, totally solid response there. Yeah, but technically, can you get sound from space? I know in space, no one can hear you scream, but is that because you're wearing a helmet or because (laughs) it can't transmit sound? Right. Anything where you describe something we get from space in terms of a sound is usually playing the same trick we talked about with respect to gravitational waves, where you're getting some other kind of wave. 
and all waves have a frequency. And then you transform that wave into a sound wave so you can listen to it. This is no different than like taking radio waves or x-rays from space, which you can't see visually, and then just shifting them in the spectrum so that you can see them like a false color image. So no, you can't actually hear any sounds from space because sounds are mechanical waves. They require like air shifting or something banging into something else. Mm. So we can't hear anything technically from space. Right. But space isn't completely empty, is right? It's not a perfect vacuum. There's a little bit of gas and hydrogen mm -hmm. everywhere, isn't there? Mm -hmm. No, exactly. There are some particles out there. So you could imagine there are some like waves in the solar wind, for example, mm. oscillations that happen. Like the sun has a period of 11 years where like there's lots of ups and downs in the radiation it emits. So you can imagine waves propagating in that medium and perhaps you could imagine actually listening to them. So yeah, there are ways, you're right, for sound to propagate through not totally empty space. But space is also not empty in another way. We always talk about space being filled with quantum fields and those fields can propagate waves. And for example, that's what a photon is. It's a wave in the electromagnetic field in otherwise empty space. Mm, sounds good. So they can hear you scream in space <laughs> from radiation <laughs> burning, probably. Yeah. If you scream in light, then yes, people can hear you scream. All right. So there's this big mystery in physics called the space roar. Now, Daniel, step us through this. What is the space roar? The space roar is a totally weird, unexplained source of radio from space. And that's why they call it the space roar, because it comes in the radio spectrum, which is a spectrum where we often listen to, right? You might even be hearing this podcast on the radio, which means it's been transmitted using radio waves. So because we associate radio waves with sound often, I think that's why I got this name, the space roar. But basically, it's unexplained source of radio waves from space. I guess meaning that if you turn on your radio, you would technically be able to listen to this roar, right? Yeah, exactly. To it is coming in through the radio waves. Mm -hmm. You need a radio antenna. And remember that radio waves are just another part of the electromagnetic spectrum. All of these are photons. You can call all of it light if you want, but they're all just part of the same wiggling of electromagnetic fields. In the center of the spectrum, there's visible light. Above that, there's UV light and then X-rays. Below it, there's infrared light. And below that are radio waves. So radio waves are just photons with a very, very long wavelength. And, you know, as we were saying earlier, for centuries, people were doing astronomy only by looking at visible light, the light you could see with your eyes. And of course, there's a lot of fascinating information about stars and the universe you can see just with your eyes or gathering more of those visible photons into a telescope. But in the 1930s, there was this amazing discovery that you could actually listen to the sky using radio waves also, and that there was a huge source of radio waves coming to us from space. Mm. How did we discover that? Was it through like actual radios? No, it was a really interesting accidental discovery by this guy Jansky. He was hired by the Bell Telephone Company. They wanted to beam radio signals across the Atlantic and they were worried that thunderstorms would generate radio interference. So they hired him to like listen to the radio spectrum carefully and see if he could understand these forms of interference. So he built basically a huge radio telescope, the first radio telescope, just to gather radio waves. And he heard a lot of stuff that he couldn't explain as coming from Earth. Mm, interesting. Totally an unintended. Totally unintended. Yeah, it was like a fascinating little piece of science. He heard this weird hiss he couldn't explain. And actually, he discovered that it was correlated with the rotation of the Earth, which is how he knew it wasn't coming from the Earth. 
It's like seeing something in the sky, you see it once a day. So you know that like as the earth is turning, it's appearing in the sky. But he was looking at the sky in a different spectrum, right? He was looking at the sky in the radio waves. And what he was actually listening to was radio emissions from the center of the galaxy. Wow. And so here was like a whole new way to listen to the sky, to look out at the universe. Nobody ever thought that there are natural sources of radio waves out there in the universe. And by listening to them, we could tell what's going on. And the whole field is hilarious, sort of, because nobody really did anything about it until about 10 years later when this guy outside Chicago built the world's first radio telescope by himself in his backyard. And he was basically the only radio astronomer in the world for about 10 years. Wow. A pioneer. A pioneer. Absolutely. In his garage. <laughs> in his backyard. This thing is huge. It's one of these big dishes. So Jansky's first one was just like a string of antennas on a big wheel that he could turn. Mm. And then Reber, he built the first dish to sort of like concentrate radio waves and collect them together. And that's the sort of radio dish that we have now. Like Arecibo until recently was a big radio telescope. And we have other big radio telescopes. You can see them. They're these huge dishes. And they have to be big because radio has very long wavelengths. Right. I guess it's sort of like, you know, maybe astronomers at the time were still busy trying to figure out what they were seeing in the visible light spectrum. And so nobody thought to look in other wavelengths. Yeah, exactly. There's still plenty of astronomy to do in visible light. People are still doing it now. But, you know, there's a lot of spectra out there and the universe looks different at different spectra. You know, different things glow at different temperatures. Some things are very bright in the UV and very dark in the visible light, or they're very strong radio emitters and they're very quiet in the visible. And so it's sort of like looking at the universe in color instead of in black and white. You can see different things light up and different things being dark at different frequencies. Mm. And so it's sort of like extra colors to the universe. It's really a great way to sort of understand what's out there. Right, right. It's a great romantic line. And <laughs> dear, you're glowing in the X-ray spectrum. All right, so that, that was a bit a his that he heard back then, but now we're hearing a roar and it's sort of unexplained. So what's the history of this roar? When did we first start listening to it or seeing it and who did it? So there's an experiment developed called the Arcade Instrument. Arcade is one of these tortured acronyms. It stands for Absolute Radiometer for Cosmology, Astrophysics and Diffuse Emission. But it's basically a really sensitive radio antenna attached to a balloon mm. and it goes up into the atmosphere and it listens to radio waves and they're trying to really accurately measure these sources of radio waves because they want to understand things like the very early universe. They want to listen to the cosmic background radiation and detect to see if like the first stars in the universe gave it a little bit of hot spots here and there. Mm. So they launched this probe something like 10, 15 years ago, and it was one of the most sensitive probes to radio waves. And they heard this crazy hiss that they couldn't explain. Wow. But where did they launch it? Was this one of these like Antarctic balloons or was it outside Chicago also? <laughs> the epicenter of radio astronomy. It was launched from a spot in Texas. NASA has a scientific balloon facility there. And this thing is not just like a normal balloon. It's one of these like massive weather balloons. And as it goes up, it gets really, really big. And this thing went up to 37 kilometers above the Earth's surface. Mm. All right. So then they send out this balloon and they, I guess, were they able to point it? Can they point it around? And that's when they heard this roar. They can't point it. It just sort of like floats around. They don't steer it, but it has a bunch of antennas on it. So you can get directional information about the signals you're picking up based on like when they arrive at the instruments. It's sort of like parallax or like binocular vision. And so they can tell where things are coming from. 
And so, you know, they saw a lot of the expected stuff. In the radio, you can see the sun, you can see the galactic center, you can see Jupiter, you can see other galaxies that are putting out radio waves. And that's sort of what they expected. But they also found this sort of like overall signal, this uniform hiss that nobody had ever heard before. And it's much, much stronger than anything they expected. Mm, interesting. All right, let's get into a little bit more in detail of this his, and then let's talk about where it could be coming from and what it could be. But first, let's take a quick break. Physicists are famously sticklers for detail. And when it comes to the fine print contracts and hidden fees from wireless providers, I've learned that there's always a catch somewhere. So when I heard that the Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, where's the catch? But now I'm convinced there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online, so they cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass all those savings directly to you. So you can say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, draw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All of Mint Mobile's plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com slash universe that's mintmobile.com slash universe cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe additional taxes fees and restrictions apply see Mint Mobile for details apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card you earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day that's three percent on your favorite products at apple two percent on all other apple card with apple pay purchases and one percent on anything you buy with your titanium apple card or virtual card number Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. All right, we're talking about the space roar, a mysterious signal that the arcade instrument detected on a balloon 37 kilometers up in the sky. Now, Daniel, this is different than the cosmic microwave background radiation, right? The CMBR? <laughs> That's right. This is different from the CMB. No R. <laughs> We're not living in the Marvel Universe. The CMB does emit in the radio, right? Part of the CMB is in the radio spectrum. There's a bit of confusing terminology here because sometimes waves in this part of the spectrum are called radio. Sometimes they're called microwaves. 
It's really the same thing. Essentially, anything longer than a millimeter, you could call a radio wave or you could call it a microwave. So you could also call it the cosmic radio background. Mm, so it is sort of like the cosmic microwave background, but it's just at a different wavelength. Yeah, exactly. They were looking for at the slightly longer wavelength portion that's not as well studied because what they wanted to understand was, can they see like the heat, the light put out from some of the first stars in the universe, which would have emitted in the radio? That was sort of their scientific goals, like measure this part of the spectrum really, really accurately and then study it for hints about the formations of the first stars, which they hoped would leave a little fingerprint on this part of the universe. Oh, I see. They sent that balloon up to study the CMB specifically, but in the radio wave wavelength. Yeah, exactly. And to study sort of the longer tails of the CMB, which people haven't studied as precisely using like COBE and Planck and WMAP and those other satellites. So it has a slightly different sensitivity than other instruments. So it's sort of the first time people looked with this precision at this part of the spectrum. Mm. All right. So then I guess they expected to hear like a, a background hiss, mm -hmm. but what they found was uh, not quite what they were expecting to find. Yeah, they expected to find the CMB, as we talked about, that's part of the spectrum. They also expected to hear sort of like a diffuse background, you know, like all the galaxies that are out there, they emit in the radio, especially if they have a strong black hole at their center, they're going to be giving off a lot of radio waves. So you, you expect sort of just like a diffuse source of noise out there in the universe in radio waves. But they heard this hiss that's not the CMB, it comes at a different wavelength, and it's much, much stronger than what you would expect just from like all the galaxies emitting. It's like six times larger than what we can explain. Mm. Wait, why can it be the CMB? Well, we know the CMB pretty well. The CMB is what you expect from like a 2.7 degree Kelvin black body emitter. So we know its spectrum and we know its intensity. And this is just much bigger than the CMB. It's not consistent with what you would expect from the CMB. Mm, I see. And it's much bigger than what you would expect from just the general like din of the universe. Yeah. Like the general radio wave background of the universe. Yeah, exactly. And it's the most sensitive instrument in this area. And it also has an absolute calibration, which is the reason we first heard it. Most of the radio balloons and other things listening to this part of the spectrum before would always just do a relative calibration. They would like listen to two points and look, for example, at radio from the center of the galaxy relative to just sort of like an average direction. So previous experiments couldn't detect like an overall background noise because they were always like measuring relative to the background noise. This is the first experiment that can actually measure the background noise itself because it has an absolute calibration on it. And so this is the first time we realized that the background noise, that din you were talking about, is just much larger than what we can explain. You know, it's like if you walked into a room expecting there to be 10 people in there, but instead there's the noise from 60 people. You're like, where's all this noise coming from? Mm, mysterious. Yes, something out there in the universe. Like this one, they calibrated by, I guess, shielding it completely or just having like knowing their instruments so much that they know what no radio emissions would sound like. This thing, they shield it, they cool it down to 2.7 degrees Kelvin using super fluid liquid helium, which is pretty awesome. Then they also have a device on there, which gives out a known signal. So like it has its own little calibrator on it, which they can calibrate absolutely like they know what they should be hearing from this. So rather than just using the sky to calibrate where you're sensitive to background noise in the sky, they have their own little calibration source. 
This is like a little add-on thing they did to make it more sensitive so they could like calibrate it more precisely. Mm. And what they discovered is like, oops, the background from the sky was much bigger than what everybody had thought. And nobody had been sensitive to it before because nobody else had done their own calibration. Mm, I see. Now, is this coming from a particular direction or it's like it's coming from everywhere? It seems to be coming from everywhere, right? It's really weird. It comes from all directions. And we don't know yet, like, is it coming from our galaxy or is it coming from other galaxies? It's really confusing. Mm. If it was coming from other galaxies, it'd be pretty surprising, wouldn't it? Because they're so far away that that signal should be pretty weak by the time it gets here. So it would be a pretty big source at those galaxies. It would but you know, some of those galaxies really pump out radio waves. All galaxies put out radio. For example, like Andromeda, it puts out 10 to the 32 watts. Like that's just a huge number. It's hard to wrap your mind around. You know, your light bulb is like 50 watts or 100 watts. Andromeda puts out 10 to the 32 watts, you know, and it's all noise. It's not even like playing good music or anything. <laughs> but that's actually a fairly quiet galaxy. Some of the galaxies out there like Cygnus A, it puts out a million times as much radio energy. So these galaxies, you're right, they're really far away. They're millions of light years away, but they're still very loud in the radio, which just tells you how intense they are. Mm. Could those be the source of this space roar? Well, that was the first idea. So people thought, oh, well, you know, maybe the galaxies are louder than we thought, but we can listen to the individual galaxies. We can tell basically how loud galaxies are. In order to explain it with galaxies, you need to just like add more galaxies because you need this like diffuse emission, not just from individual galaxies. But there sort of isn't enough space to add more galaxies. Like if you just said, what if there are a bunch of galaxies out there we didn't know about somehow, then you'd have to like pack them into the universe like sardines. And so you can't really explain this just by like adding more galaxies. Mm, so it can't be galaxies. Could it be something specific like a... You know, there just happens to be like a like a pulsar aimed at us or something like that or a quasar. It's coming from all directions, right? So what you need is like a very large population of something, all of which is emitting these sources. Mm, and, and emitting sort of like noise too, right? Like not any frequencies in specific. Yeah, well, down here in the radio, but exactly, it's not like a spike. It's not like a very narrow peak. And, you know, and maybe we should talk about like why things emit radio, because that helps us understand what it is that's generating this sound. Mm, all right, yeah. How, what makes things emit radio waves? Well, we have a few sort of categories of things that can make radio waves. One is just things being hot. You know, everything in the universe gives off radiation. It's called black body radiation depending on your temperature and things that are really hot give off higher frequency radiation you know for example like x-rays and ultraviolet light from really really hot things things like the sun give off in the visible spectrum things like cool clouds of gas and dust give off in the infrared but things also emit in the radio so like big dark dust clouds out there in space that are really pretty cold they glow in the radio spectrum that's one source of radio waves Another source comes from just like magnetic fields. Charged particles, when they move to a magnetic field, they get bent. Like, for example, when the solar wind hits the Earth's magnetic field, you get the northern lights, right? Those particles are emitting light when they bend because anything that accelerates, anything that turns in a magnetic field has to give off a photon to do that. And if things have the right speed, then those photons are radio waves. And so if you have charged particles moving through a magnetic field, you're going to get photons. And sometimes those photons are radio waves. Mm. But maybe my favorite source of radio waves is that it turns out that there are sort of natural molecular lasers out there in space. 
natural molecular lasers. Yeah, exactly. You know, a laser works when you have light passing through a resonant cavity that has a material in it that can sort of amplify it. And we don't want to go in detail into the physics of lasers, but there are sometimes out there in space these dense pockets of molecular clouds. And if light passes through them at the right frequency, it can become a maser, which is basically a laser, but in the microwave spectrum. And remember, microwaves and radio waves, basically the same thing. And so sometimes out there, there are these basically radio lasers just sort of naturally occurring. Wow. So could those be what's causing these space roar? No, we don't think those things happen often enough to explain the space roar. They wouldn't be coming in every direction. Those things typically come from like dense clouds inside our Milky Way. But these emissions don't follow the pattern of the Milky Way, right? Like they don't lie along the plane of the Milky Way. Remember, the Milky Way is a flat disk. And so if these things were coming from our galaxy, from something in our galaxy, you would expect it to be like in the disk of the galaxy. And that when you pointed your antennas away from the galaxy, it would get fainter. But it doesn't. It seems to be in every direction. So either the Milky Way has some like new structure in it that tends to be like a spherical halo around us that's emitting this or it's coming from somewhere outside the galaxy. Mm. Like it doesn't seem to get louder when you sort of listen towards the center of the galaxy. It's like pretty even all around this. It's pretty even in every direction. And that's why they call it the space roar, because it's just like filling space with this sound. Right, right. It's trying to make a statement. (laughs) But to me, it's really exciting because it's like a puzzle. It's like something out there is giving off this radiation and we don't have an explanation for it. And that tells us that it has to be something new. We're about to learn something new about the universe. Something in the universe has been screaming at us forever and we only recently heard it. And so that to me is exciting because it makes us be creative about what could possibly be out there. Is it something we're familiar with that's screaming in a way we didn't expect? Or is it something totally new out there that's creating this crazy radiation? Right. And I guess they're pretty sure it's not a technical issue, right? Like they've calibrated this pretty good. They have calibrated this pretty good. Exactly. They were really surprised to see this. So they spent a long time. This is not like an aha moment one evening. You know, they did this flight and only lasted several days, but they spent months and months and months analyzing this data, removing background noises, removing other background noises, checking for sources of mistakes and uncertainty and calibration and cross-checking and re-double cross-checking because, you know, it takes a lot of guts to publish a paper like this to say there's something we don't understand in our data. Your fear at night when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, wait a second, did I remember to check for this thing? Is that you overlooked something simple that you're making a mistake? It's exciting, right, to say we found something new we don't understand, but it's also a little terrifying. So they definitely crossed their T's and dotted their I's. These are very careful folks. Right, especially this one because the discovery is not very specific, right? I mean, they're basically saying, hey, we're getting a lot more noise in our instrument than we think we should, Mm -hmm. which normally just means that you're not Right. right? But here they're saying that this could be something new in the universe. Yeah, they're pretty sure this is actual signal from space and not just an artifact of their instrument. And, you know, this is a very carefully engineered instrument. Like they are flying liquid helium up in a balloon. Like they spent a lot of time designing this thing. I read the design paper and it's very detailed. These folks definitely did their homework. And so I certainly believe that this is a signal from space, which now lets us wonder about, you know, what is it? You know, another aspect of writing a paper like this, when you see a new signal from space, is you're sort of putting it out there and you're not naming the source of it. You'd love to see a new signal from space 
and at the same time explain it because you're like, wow, look, a new signal. And we discovered something new. Here's the explanation. That would be like a complete scientific story. Instead, you just sort of publish the experiment and then go, I don't know. And then everybody gets to play with it. But it sort of opens the door for somebody else to come in and explain your discovery. Right, right. Yeah, it's very open and collaborative. That's pretty cool. (laughs) All right. So it it can be other galaxies because there aren't enough galaxies to make up this background roar. And it's probably not a magnetic field or the cosmic microwave background radiation. So the question is, what could it be? Let's talk about that. But first, let's take a quick break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. All right, we're talking about the space roar or rower, <laughs> otherwise known as the cosmic radio background <laughs> noise, kind of. Yeah, part of it, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we ticked off a couple of things that it can't be. It can't be galaxies. It can't be magnetic fields, potentially. So what could it be, Daniel? Well, as usual, we have a spectrum of possibilities ranging from like, Pretty boring to totally bonkers slash exciting. Mm, I'm going to guess we're going to start with the boring and build up to the <laughs> bonkers one. Absolutely. So sort of the most boring explanation is that maybe there are just more magnetic fields than we thought. Remember when charged particles fly through magnetic fields, they bend and bending means acceleration. And when any charged particle accelerates, it has to give off a photon. It's just basic conservation of momentum. You can't move in one direction without pushing something else off the other direction. And that's usually a photon. So if magnetic fields out there are stronger than we thought they were, then there's going to be more of this kind of radiation from charged particles than we thought. And if they're sort of everywhere, then charged particles everywhere are going to be basically roaring at us. And remember, we did an episode about whether or not space itself is magnetized. Because we've been discovering as we've been trying to measure magnetic fields through the universe, that magnetic fields are kind of everywhere. 
Like there's definitely one from the Earth and the Sun and Jupiter and even our galaxy has a magnetic field. But recently we discovered that there are magnetic fields between galaxies and between galaxy clusters. And there might even be magnetic fields out there in the huge voids where there's just nothing. Mm. So it might just be that space has more magnets than we thought, which leads to more particles roaring at us. Right. Maybe the universe is just more attractive than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> it has a certain glow to it, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. It's more active than we thought, you know, and it's more magnetic. There's more things that you can't really quite see that are happening in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you need two ingredients to make a roar from magnetic fields. You need the magnetic field and then you also need the particles. And as you were saying, space is not empty, right? There are particles everywhere, even between galaxies. In fact, like something like half of the stuff in the universe is the intergalactic plasma, this stuff between galaxies. So there are a lot of particles out there flying through these magnetic fields. And if they are larger than we expect, that could be the source of the space roar. Right. But do we know what's causing these magnetic fields or what would cause the magnetic fields to be that strong for it to generate this roar? We definitely do not know the source of these magnetic fields, which is sort of like awesome and crazy that something as basic as like the magnetic field of the universe can't be explained. People are talking about like weird unknown mechanisms inside galaxies or between galaxies. But my favorite possible explanation for what's causing these magnetic fields is that maybe they are primordial. Maybe they date from the origin of the universe itself. Mm -hmm. That when the universe was created, some energy just sort of like slipped into a magnetic field and then got stuck there. So it's like leftover energy from the Big Bang captured in a magnetic field still around. Mm, I see. It's in the DNA of the universe. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be. People have forever assumed the default configuration should be like no magnetic field, no stuff, no moving charges, no magnets, no magnetic field. But it might just be that the baseline situation for the universe is to have magnetic fields in it. So if you find that stuff interesting, check out our whole episode about is space magnetized. Mm. All right. And that's a vanilla explanation <laughs> <laughs> that somehow the universe is inherently magnetic mm -hmm. to a super high degree than we thought was possible. What's our next possibility? Next possibility is stuff happening. You know, we talked about... <laughs> <laughs> that's a technical term. Stuff happening. Isn't that just a, the, the column definition of physics? Physics. Stuff happens. Yeah, but in this case, it'd be exciting stuff happening. <laughs> Physics, exciting stuff happens. Yes, exciting stuff is happening out there in the universe. And in this case, it might be galaxies dancing around each other and eventually merging. You know, these galaxies are sources of radio because they're black holes and because of the big clouds of gas and dust that are in them. And it might be that when galaxies merge, that that merging forms some turbulence. And that turbulence sort of like gets these clouds of gas and dust to emit in the radio waves louder than they otherwise would. And so it could be that there's part of this process of galaxy merging that we don't quite yet understand. Oh, I see. It could be something normal happening, but that when it happens at an extreme level, we just don't have a good model for it. So maybe that's what's generating these waves. Yeah. Instead of having more galaxies out there, have the same number of galaxies, but have them do something different from what we expected. So maybe there's more of these mergers happening than we thought, or the mergers are more turbulent than we thought. And that's what's giving off this roar. So not new stuff, but old stuff doing new and exciting things. Mm. Teaching old galaxies new tricks. Right. Physics. Stuff happens in new ways. <laughs> 
All right, so it could be merging galaxies. Well, what else could it be? It could also just be something new out there in the universe that's giving off radio emissions that's not on our list of things we understand. You know, it could be not stars. It could be not the centers of galaxies. It could be, you know, not black body emission. It could be some new source of radio emission. Mm, that we somehow have missed all this time? Yeah, we somehow have missed. And people have even connected it, for example, to our favorite universe mystery, which is dark matter. Right. It might be that dark matter is out there and that it can annihilate with itself. Remember, dark matter we know is something massive that's out there, but we don't really know what it's made out of. One hypothesis for dark matter is that it's this really heavy particles that mostly just sit around and do nothing. But it's sort of hard to explain how you get dark matter and how you have the amount of dark matter that we have in the universe if there's no way for dark matter to be created or for it to annihilate itself. So people have thought of this idea that maybe dark matter sometimes bumps into itself and then annihilates, just like particle, antiparticle. Maybe there's dark matter and anti-dark matter. And sometimes it bumps into itself and then turns into, for example, normal matter, like electrons and positrons. Mm, I see. So maybe all this dark matter, because there's a lot of dark matter in the universe, maybe that's what's causing this glow. That's the idea. Yeah. And, and that would make sense because dark matter is pretty diffuse out there. We're sort of mm-hmm. surrounded by it in a halo and in our galaxy. Mm-hmm. That, that would sort of make sense. That would make a lot of sense. So in more detail, the mechanism is that these dark matter particles annihilate and then create these electrons and positrons. But because dark matter is heavy, like it's much heavier than electrons or positrons, these particles would be created with sort of a lot of energy. They'd be flying through the universe. And when they hit magnetic fields, they would bend and then they would give off some radio waves. And so it could be, as you say, that this is sort of a signal of a lot of dark matter surrounding the galaxy and giving off these electrons and positrons, which then roar at us. Mm. Dark matter, we know there's five times as much of it as normal matter. And as you say, it's not spread through the galaxy in the same way that normal matter is. It tends to make up this big halo. It surrounds everything and it's fluffy and diffuse. It's not as clumped. And so that would be a good explanation. Wow. So basically, dark matter would not be dark, is what you're saying. You would have to rename it, or would you continue with this incorrect name? It would still be dark, it just wouldn't be quiet, right? It'd be like screaming matter. (laughs) See, now you're mixing the uh, metaphors there, Daniel. (laughs) It's giving up light, but you're saying it's not quiet. It's so much fun to mix your metaphors and put silly names on things. I see why astronomers are tempted. I see you just threw them under the bus again. (laughs) No, and now I'm joining them. I'm saying, you know what? I get it. All right. So it could be dark matter. That would be pretty exciting and pretty far out there, but it gets even wilder. It gets even wilder. I was reading some sort of bonkers ideas that there could be alternate universes out there, right? This is like the multiverse theory, the idea that our universe is not the only universe that's out there. There are other universes out there and that these universes sort of echo with ours. And there are even ways for our universe to communicate with those universes for like radiation to slip from our universe to their universe. Mm. And there's this crazy idea, this Fredkin Wolfram automaton, which spreads across multiple universes. It like lives in more than one universe and gives off radio signals. And so the idea is like, maybe this could be evidence of other universes. Whoa, yeah. Like you're seeing like the shadow or the the glow of other universes that are sort of on top of ours, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to be too clickbaity. Like this is 
total speculation and it's not a prediction. Like if this was an idea that had been invented before we heard it and somebody said, I think there are multiverses out there and you can prove it. If you hear this particular thing, go out and look for it. And then we found it. That would be convincing. But, you know, once you see it and you don't know how to explain it and then later you cook up a crazy multiverse explanation for it, it's sort of less convincing as an explanation. It's always more impressive to predict something than to post-dict something. Right. But isn't that technically the same thing, Daniel? <laughs> it's like it just depends on the order in which you do it. But it's still the same sort of connection, right? I don't know. I think the order sort of matters. Like, you know, naming lottery numbers after they've picked the lottery is a lot easier than before. Right. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the same deal. Mm. Like telling the past is a lot easier than telling the future. So I think order matters. Yeah. Right. Right. But I guess what I mean is that they could still be right. Oh, like yeah. Just because they came up with it afterwards doesn't mean that they're wrong. Absolutely. They could still be right. Absolutely. But it's not really like evidence for their theory. You know, it's not that hard to come up with a theory that describes what you see. What's hard is to come up with a simple theory that explains what you see, which means it's capable of making predictions. That's what science is about, right? It's predicting the future, not just describing the past. So you're right. We can't rule out this idea. The only way to rule it out is to do future experiments to compare against their predictions. So it could totally be that we live in a multiverse and that the space roar is, you know, a sound from these other universes or radio emissions from these common overlapping elements of our universes. Could totally be, but, you know, I don't want to oversell it. Right, right. I wonder if it could it be uh, something more mundane? Like, could it just be, I don't know, like radio waves coming from our technology? Like, could it be like, just human noise? Or I guess you would hear it only coming from Earth. Yeah, exactly. It's not connected to the Earth, right? It seems to be coming from every direction and it's independent of the orientation of the Earth. Mm. And, and also one of the reasons they launched this thing on a balloon was to sort of try to get away from earthbound sources of noise. You know, the earth is very loud in the radio these days because there's so many cell phones and radio emitters. They're basically everywhere. I see. A good place to do radio astronomy is like on the dark side of the moon because it's shielded from the earth, but it's kind of hard to get there. So launching a balloon into space is a good way to sort of insulate yourself away from a lot of sources of earthbound noise. Mm. Well, I think I got it, Daniel. What is it? I think it's cell phone signals from aliens. Like we just <laughs> happen to be in the middle of a couple of, you know, intergalactic alien cell phone towers. And that that's what we're listening to. I can't believe nobody else has suggested that idea. Wow. Right? It's <laughs> obvious. And I came up with it before getting my hands into the data. So technically it counts. Well, then the question is, why are these aliens roaring at each other? Like, what's going on? Can't you guys just calm it down? You know, what's the cosmic equivalent of like knocking on your ceiling with a broomstick? Mm. Well, they're just talking on the phone, <laughs> exchanging emojis and, and, and memes. And, you know, we just don't know how to decode it. That's all. Well, we're busy here trying to listen to the origins of the universe and understand, you know, the heating of the first stars. And they're just like chatting with each other. and We can't make out these cosmic signals. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what life is all about. <laughs> Learning to live with your neighbors. Talking to your fellow uh, sentient <laughs> beings. All right, so it's a big mystery in astronomy and physics. Yeah, there's this big roar. So it, it's still a mystery. And so what are people doing about it, Daniel? Well, of course, they are proposing new projects. Spend more money to gather more data. There's this plan for a new version of the arcade experiment that's going to be much bigger. It's going to have 500 gallons of liquid helium, which is going to allow it to be even colder and stay more sensitive to get like more data. Maybe we can look for some variations. Maybe we can see if it's a little bit stronger in one part of the sky than somewhere else. So that's one possibility that so we could just sort of like get more resolution on the problem. And that might give us a clue. We also have ground based instruments. And now that Arecibo is in the past, 
unfortunately, the sort of most powerful radio telescope in the world is in Green Bank, West Virginia, which is a beautiful instrument. You should Google it and check this thing out. And it can make very precise maps of the skies in these radio frequencies, again, to look for patterns. Right, because even the cosmic microwave background has patterns to it, right? Mm -hmm. And those patterns are important. There's a huge amount of information encoded in those patterns. So we're just at the very beginning of understanding this other map of the sky and what's in it and what it means. Cool. All right, so maybe expect more in the coming years, but in the near future, it's going to be a big mystery. We are bathed in mystery. There's a huge source of radio waves that is coming from all over space and we don't know what it is. Yeah. We won't know for a little while. Yep, until we hear more roar. In the meantime, universe, we hear you. We hear you roaring. <laughs> we respect you. We get it. Maybe chill out a little bit. <laughs> exactly. We're doing our best to figure out what your roaring is all about. Maybe it's the universe hitting the broomstick <laughs> on the ceiling at us because we're being too noisy. Exactly. Maybe we should learn to shut up. Too many podcasts. And on that note, thanks for listening to this one. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.